Take that! Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark. This is going to be one of the original episodes. It's on the misuse of information. Uh, Originally in this episode that I recorded with my father, Jeff, we looked at the misuse of statistics and then we went on to the misuse of science information. In this episode, I'm going to cut a little bit out of it uh, and just focus on the misuse of science information because in the next episode uh, of the podcast, the, the new one that I'll be doing with Ben, we're going to look focus on the misuse of uh, statistics and as well as the misunderstanding of probability. So because I'm doing that, I thought, well, I'll take the little section of the misuse of statistics from the original episode and place that in the new one, uh, the, the episode after this. I hope that's clear. Um, I'm confused myself. Basically, this is the original episode. It's just focusing on the misuse of science information. The next episode will focus on the misuse of statistics. So that's enough for me. Let's get on with it. Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and I'm also joined tonight by Jeff Clark. G'day, Dad. How are you? Hi, Theo. Okay. Uh, now we will move on to the first section of the podcast where we read uh, the fallacy, and tonight we're looking at misuse of information. <laughs> Misuse of information, other terms and or related concepts which might be used for a similar type of uh, fallacy. Misuse or misunderstanding of statistics. Misuse or misunderstanding of facts and or theories. And we describe it as follows. The advocate misinterprets information and a misinterpretation supports his or her position or the advocate deliberately misuses the information, that is a statistic, fact or theory, in order to support his or her position. An example, uh, we've got two examples. Number one, misuse of statistics. Scott Armani raises a delicate issue with his boss, Phil Greenspan. What am I going to do about the average wage of the employees in our third world factory for this report? We need to make it look like we pay decent wages, Phil responds. Easy to fix. Just include the factory manager's pay rate and the average should come out nicely. Following Phil's advice, Scott works out the average wage as follows. He uses accurate data based on 10 employees from the factory, including the manager. Their rates per hour in dollars are 1111122223350. Thus, the average wage for the factory as stated in the annual report will be $6.60 per hour. In the second example, misuse of facts theories, Carl Vladimir, I'm not right, is the editor of the monthly Stalin's newsletter. We've still got China, Cuba and North Korea. Writing in his usual opinionated style, he editorialises against the recent attempt to introduce laws to ban gay marriage. The problem with laws like this, and this is a quote, is that they are judgmental. They tell us how to live. But we are in no position to judge anyone else. In order to judge, we must first be able to observe. Einstein showed us, with his theory of relativity, there are no privileged observers. 
everything is relative. Quantum physics adds to this. The act of observing, or rather judging, changes the properties of things. So given these two fundamentals of physics, everything is relative, nothing absolute, and observations change what we're observing. How can we judge something like gay marriage? If it doesn't harm us directly, the answer, we can't. Comment. In the first example, Scott has not technically lied in his report, but he has used a statistical technique to create the impression the company prefers. The average chosen for the report is the mean. It is one of three measures of central tendency. The others are the median and the mode. The mode of Scott's data range, that is, what most of their employees are paid per hour, is $1. The median pay, the middle number when the data is arranged in ascending order, is $2 per hour. Through the selective use of statistics, Scott, on the advice of Phil, has painted the picture he wanted the shareholders to see. In the second example, Carl Vladimir has cited two concepts of modern physics to back up his claim. These are theories of the physical world and say nothing about ethics or law, thus so being misused. We have no view on the issue Carl raises in his editorial, but his justification for his position misused the theory and is therefore flawed. The best defence for seekers after truth against being deceived by the misuse of information is to do their homework on the topic under consideration. This is only really possible if the general topic of discussion is known beforehand, in the case of verbal discussion, or if time is available for follow-up reading when the misleading material is in a publication. If the misleading material is offered during a spontaneous discussion, the best recourse for the sceptic is to question advocates closely on the details of their claim and to be alert for circular arguments, weak premises, unwarranted inferences and weak or unconvincing anecdotes. Close questioning often reveals that ill-informed advocates know far less about the topic than they are claiming to know. In fact, we have found that at least 100% of those few people who routinely disagree with us know five-eighths of three-fifths of nothing at all about anything. Okay, that's the reading from the book, and now we're just going to give some specific examples that we've come across uh, recently, um, and some classic examples in terms of misusing statistics and misusing scientific knowledge. Now, my personal pet peeve is not the statistics, it's the misuse of science. So when I came home from work uh, during the week, I had this pamphlet from a health food, or, you know, a natural health kind of shop or something like that, uh, I think it was a new age type health and beauty store. And it had some really, really fantastic examples of misusing of scientific facts and theories. And basically it's complete utter gibberish. And I'll list a few of the different therapies they advertised just on one pamphlet. They had obviously traditional Chinese medicine, medicine massage therapy. They had, um, and so, you know, those are, are fairly standard ones, but then they went to a little bit further than a lot of places go. They have detox and far infrared ray treatment. They have scalar energy therapy. They have microwave pulse ion herbal treatment. So basically they throw a bunch of scientific sounding terms in with the typical woo-woo you get from these places to make it sound sort of plausible or sort of impressive. And 
one of my personal favourite bits was the uh, scalar energy therapy. As they say, what is scalar energy? Good question. Scalar waves are so fine that they are only 100 millionth of a square centimetre in width. So let's just stop and consider that for a second. A square centimetre in width. So they're not real good on the old measuring here. Uh, finer than X-rays and gamma rays. They are also they can also be manipulated into various types of modes and frequencies. Pretty impressive claim. And then they talk about what they can use scalar waves to measure and help health problems such as arteries. I'll just read out a few of them: gallbladder, pancreas, kidneys, heart, ureter, vitreous body, allergy bladder. I say allergy bladder together because they didn't bother putting a comma between allergy and bladder. I can only assume they meant them to be separate. Uh, small intestine, seminal vesicle. Uh, lung, anus, hypothalamus, pericardium, prostate, disease. So it helps with disease just on its own as opposed to all the other things. And bacteria. So it's, it sounds they, they quite They do impressive. themselves a disservice. They do themselves a disservice when they list a huge number of things that it helps. Mm. Um, even, even a sort of lukewarm skeptic would realize that one treatment can't help all those different things. Mm. Um, and if you put, uh, so I'm the using anus. that term, by the way, lukewarm sceptic. I like it. Lukewarm sceptic. Yeah, if you put the that. anus in a list of things that it helps, uh, I, I, fair enough, you put maybe the prostate because it's fairly yeah. close to the anus. Yeah. But if you put um, lymph nodes, cerebellum, I mean cerebellum and prostate yeah. and anus in the yeah. same list, and yeah. I, I just think they're too far apart in functionally <laughs> and form. <laughs> Uh, to, to be plausibly affected by the same scalar energy. The other thing is, um, with the square centimetre in width, I found that claim to be not outrageous enough. I, I would have preferred it. If they'd said a cubic centimetre in width, mm. uh, I'd be convinced they were really onto something because they'd be mixing up their dimensions so much mm. that you'd think to yourself, well, nobody could be that stupid. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they must be well, really onto something. The, the square centimeter would be to do with intensity. With. The, the square centimeter would do with the intensity of something, whereas the actual length of the wavelength is just a length. So yeah, it just it's blinding me. Obviously, they have no idea what they're talking about. And I bothered to do a little research yeah. about scalar energy, and, and I'll chuck a link up for Wikipedia about it. And you know, obviously, Wikipedia is the best source one can use. But it was it was a promoted as a kind of a theory of electromagnetic uh, radiation. And the idea was that these this scalar energy uh, oscillated in the longitudinal direction, which is the same direction the wave propagates. And real electromagnetic radiation that actually exists, as opposed to this stuff that doesn't, uh, it oscillates in a transverse direction, so at 90 degrees to the direction of the wave propagating. And so it just doesn't exist. And so not only supposedly can it help with health problems, and it measures them, and it helps with them at the same time. I mean, that's a pretty impressive claim. I mean, x-rays, they don't actually help with stuff. They're just good for um, measuring things, you know, actually having a look and, hey, did you break a bone or do you have a tumour somewhere? That's what they're good for. But this actually helps with it as well. So I was pretty impressed with this scalar energy therapy. But the other one I was really impressed with was this... Um, well, I'm, I'm still a bit... Yep, sorry? Yeah, just before you move on to that, with yeah. the scalar energy, the other thing is that, it does all good things, and mm. if it really exists, the chances are to do some bad things as well. So, well, that's just in case they've got it? a point. I, yeah. I'll be wearing a tinfoil hat from now on, mm. in case there is scalar energy out there. Maybe we should book in, in and go down together. Yeah, we could both dress in tinfoil well, hats. It could be causing disease. They, they simply list disease. Mm. 
but, but yes. they don't say whether it causes it or cures it. That's so, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, it know, says to help uh, for it's health problems. To worry me quite a lot. Well, hang on. It actually says to help for health problems. So yeah. Actually, maybe they're trying to help that the disease along to help the bacteria. The, the to disease help, along. To, yeah, maybe to, to help the anus. bacteria at the end. That's right. Yeah. Or <laughs> or the, the bacteria because you know they they have bacteria simply stated at the mm. end. They may be pro bacteria. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, they don't they say which type of bacteria. No, yeah, well, I think yeah. uh, I think we'll have to make an appointment and go down with our tinfoil hats on, and and we can get it simultaneously. We can get that done with our detox um, foot bath that you can get done, and the detox foot bath uh, basically assists the the body to detoxify. And I was a little bit curious. I wanted to find out more, so I, I did a search on what a detox foot bath actually is because it shows these amazing photos. It goes, photos can talk. Look, they show outstanding effects of the foot bath, and then they show some feet in some clear water. And I'll put the the photo up on the blog, on the website, and then 15 minutes after using it, and 30 minutes after using it, oh, it's gotten a yucky brown colour, so all your toxins must have come out of your body. And, you know, being very open-minded, I decided to find a bit more out about this detox foot bath, and I found the, the Australian uh, wholesalers of it, detox.com.au or detoxfootbath.com.au, and I sent them an inquiry, and I'll read out my email exchange I've had. Um, I sent it via their website, and I said, hi, I'd like to know what the colour of the water in the bath turns when you run it without feet in it, i.e. with only water in it. I just recall from my Year 10 chemistry class doing electrolysis and seeing the water change colour. And the point is this detox foot bath basically uses electrolysis and they try and say that that has some kind of health benefit to it besides maybe giving you a tingling feeling. So I then explained to them how electrolysis works. So I won't go into the details of that, but basically I was a little bit disingenuous and said how basic my chemistry was. And I basically told them the longer you run uh, electrolysis, the more colour you get in the water. And I said this happens with all sorts of electrolysis and various types of uh, metal electrodes. So my question is, how can you tell if it's the toxins from the body that are going into the water, if the water changes colour, whether feet are in the bath or not? Anyway, I eventually got a reply and um, they were uh, apologetic for being a bit slack and taking a few days to reply. And they said, Dear Theo, my apologies for my slow reply. I've been away from the computer for most of the past week. Thank you for your email. We appreciate a thorough inquiry. I'm sure they do. And I will try my best to answer it. Double exclamation point. It's not only possible to run uh, our machine without feet in it, so we have not been able to conduct the experiment ourselves. So they actually can't run the machine without the feet in it, apparently. They said, our machine needs our clients to have their feet in the water. The array, so it's apparently an array, not an electrode, also needs to be in the water and the client must have the wrist strap on for it to commence a detox. However, you are correct with your understanding of basic chemistry. As the array, so again, we're back to the arrays, so I think I have the chemistry and I don't think she does, uh, and salt combined with the water, a light brown colour emerges. It is my understanding that this relates to the slow breakdown of the array plates. Well, again, if she'd read my explanation for electrolysis, um, she'd understand exactly why it happens. And then here we go on to the, getting onto the hard cell. The foot bath itself has a powerful effect on the body. I know this because I have experienced it many times myself and have seen the results with our many clients. I believe the process, and here's my favourite bit, I believe the process of electrolysis actually stimulates the blood in our bodies via the reflexology points in our feet, which does the following. 
It restores energy and balance in our bodies and eases tension in certain areas. I just love that. The electrolysis stimulates the blood via the reflexology points. And so as the next thing she goes on, she says, so we prefer not to focus on the colours created by the array in the bathwater. Yeah, you prefer to not focus on anything. We focus on sharing these wonderful results with as many people as we can. As many of our clients have reported the following, increased energy, improved sleep, better circulation in the legs. It removes the buildup of lactic acid, I have found. So apparently it removes lactic acid. That's impressive. Removal of headaches and improvement for migraine sufferers. Great results with skin conditions such as eczema and uh, psoriasis. Reduction in joint pain, especially in ankles and wrists. Decrease in pain. Theo, I trust I've addressed your questions. Please let me know if you would like to know any more. Well, as you can guess, I did want to know more, and I think I may have given let the cat out of the bag with my follow-up email. Um, she also did try to sell me one of these. And the next thing I said to her, I said, thanks for replying. I have a couple of follow-up questions. How come the machine cannot run without feet in it? Is this an instruction from the manufacturer, or is there some inbuilt mechanism that will not let the machine work? This really seems strange to me. I can't think of a comparable machine that cannot be run without a person in it. And note, my comparable machines are CAT scans, X-rays, MRIs. So I hope she picked up on the uh, sarcasm there. And I said, I, I'd suggest these are far more complex and powerful machines. Couldn't you put a dummy object in it to test it? And then it occurred to me after I said that I actually have many dummy objects being tested in it all the time. I said, as to your anecdotes of the efficacy of the machine, I'm curious to know if you've heard of the placebo effect and have attempted to test this device, ruling this out. A procedure to do this could easily be set up, and I'd be happy to give you advice on how this could be achieved. I'm thinking I might be letting the cat out of the bag at this stage. What do you reckon, Dad? Well, I'm just thinking of... um, I I, I like scamming scammers, so Mm. I I, I heard a great um, podcast uh, a couple of years ago about some fellow that rang, rang up somebody... And claimed he was a detective at a, a crime scene. Oh, and that's I, think I know what he, no, it's the, oh, he didn't ring them up. He didn't ring them up. He gets rung up by um, by telemarketers and has his tape recorder ready. Oh, to that's go right. That that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah. classic. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And he. But I, I, I thought in relation to this particular example, it, it'd be very interesting if, um, say, I posed as a detective and, and rang up these people and said. <laughs> One of their clients had been found dead with their feet. Oh, oh I'm with loving that. One of their, <laughs> All right. <laughs> follow up. One of their electrical baths <laughs> and um, the instructions on the pamphlet didn't uh, clarify that it was supposed to be um, a step down uh, charge going into the transformer. They stepped it up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to see how to handle that. With their softy, softy, catchy monkey. I'm liking it, I'm liking it. Well, I think this is the, the next bit where I really yeah, give I, it away. The last bit of my email, I say, given the mechanism by which this machine is claimed to work is fairly implausible, it would be a good idea to see if it actually does work as claimed, i.e. above and beyond the placebo effect. If there is a measurable effect, further research into the mechanism by which it works will be warranted. And once this is established, it would not be too long until the Nobel Prize Committee would be on the phone for either medicine, physics, chemistry, or possibly all of the above. Regards, Theo. I'm still waiting for my reply, and I'm I'm a bit dubious as to whether I'm going to get it or not, I'd say. Yeah, I think I'm going to send them an email about my deceased grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> he used their footpath. I'm loving and that idea. And was found dead. That is brilliant. 
I think yeah, I think yeah, that'll be, be a five episode. Going too far, I, suppose. I don't know. <laughs> the, the, the purveyors of quackery of that sort deserve all they get in a way. So probably my personal pet peeve is the misuse and abuse of uh, science. Um, and so we've looked at that in terms of the health uh, profession, but where it really comes into its own, I think, is in the purveyors of really bizarre um, woo such as um, the people who talk about telepathy and all that kind of crap and um, I mean, homeopathy is a classic one too where they start talking about quantum physics. And so the one that got the biggest attention around probably the world of scepticism and science in the last couple of years was the, the uh, movie What the Beep Do We Know? And where it tried to basically link quantum physics um, to consciousness and to uh, all the other aspects of kind of psychic phenomena, um, precognition and all that crap. So I'm going to play a little clip from that now, and we can hear hear uh, some of the different things they talk about in terms of quantum physics. Um, there was so much to choose from, so I just picked a little section of the, the movie to, to listen to, but the whole way through it, it's just filled with rubbish and garbage. So we'll play that clip now. <laughs> notion of an entangled universe and you apply it to human experience because human experience is part of the universe as well and you say well let's let's assume that experience is entangled then how would it manifest and we can start going through ways in which it could manifest if there's a connection with another mind we call it telepathy if there's a connection to some other object somewhere else we'd call it clairvoyance if there's a connection that happens to transcend time we call it precognition there's a connection in which my intention is expressed out in the world some way, we might call it psychokinesis or distant healing or something of that sort. So you can go through a list of perhaps 12 kinds of psychic experience that have gotten labels over the years, like telepathy, but this is really just the tip of the iceberg. I would say that what quantum physics is to the 20th century, whatever is going to be the new bridging of science and spirituality, that will be to the 21st century. We are all creating the future. We are all creating what is outside of us. None of us are innocent in that regard. If there's something out there we don't like, we can't really turn our backs on it because we're co-creators somehow or other. And we have to do the right things to try to get the future that is best for all of us. We have talked so far about the freedom of our own personal life and quantum physics, that we are freeing and freeing and freeing our reality to ultimate realities. Yes, of course they exist. But after we have accomplished them, what then, what next? When do we make the shift from me to one? When are we the subconscious mind? When are we the knowledge of the one transpersonal self? And that was what the beat do you know and the sort of section of that. And the thing that really disturbs me about that is not just their discussion of quantum physics where they basically go and make these unwarranted claims such as talking about entanglement and the, the fact that because two particles can become obtangled and then um, 
if you look at one, so make an observation of one and you note its spin, whether it's up or down, then automatically the other one has the opposite type of spin. And that's a fact that's been verified in the laboratory, and I think it was Einstein who called it spooky action at a distance. And there's a lot of physics involved with that, and it's definitely real. But then they go and make this unwarranted claim and unwarranted leap that that says something about consciousness and could explain psychic phenomena and precognition and things like that. And my point with all that is that could be a mechanism to such phenomena, but you'd need to establish that that phenomena exists in the first place, which is really quite simple to do. So it's like saying astrology and explaining a mechanism for astrology without establishing that it actually works or not. And as far as I know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dad, that no one has ever actually established that any of these things actually exist. Well, there there are a lot of studies. In fact, there were university departments of parapsychology um, back in the wild 60s, I think, and there were reports of... um, for example, senders and receivers who could um, send and receive symbols on the back of cards and that sort of stuff. But what they found when they looked at that in detail was that um, they counted the hits and forgot the misses. Mm. So um, they'd set up a research uh, setting and they'd go through a sender and receiver and so on and nothing would happen, random chance. But say one one time in a 100 they'd do that Mm. and they'd get significant results. Yep. Out of pure random chance, and what they were doing was they were publishing the paper, reporting the significant results, <clears throat> and simply the death drawer effect, where they mm. discard all the unsuccessful experiments. It's a publication, and they would rationalise that to themselves by saying, "Yeah, that the, a particular uh, sender and receiver uh, on all those other occasions when it's the right people, mm. but the, you know they found." people that did work and so on, what, what they failed to do often was replicate with the same sender and the same receiver. Yep, yep. So it, it was kind of a... And, and they hang they hang, hung on for a long time, those departments of parapsychology, mm. but they've gradually disappeared one by one yep. as they haven't been able to consistently Well, I think the, sort of the classic one of that was the alpha kids who um, banner-checked one of the magicians and, and someone else who was... Um, in contact with James Randi where they worked for the IBM labs and for like three or four years just were fooling these people, scientists and the scientists thought, oh, well, we're scientists, no one can fool us. And, of course, what you, who you need to do that are actual magicians and people who know how to fool people and especially things like um, the idea of uh, misdirection where you're getting people's attention in the wrong place while you're up to, up to some mischief. And so whether that was deliberate or not is another matter, but the point is that no one has ever established that these things actually exist beyond, with any kind of reasonable scientific trial conducted. It's never been established. And so to come up with these kind of, to apply these theories of quantum physics, which in terms of their actual physics people are still arguing about and the real physics, let alone then to take that and apply it to um, these other things such as, you know, precognition and so on, is just complete and utter garbage. And so that is a classic example of the misuse of a scientific theory. And to anyone who's well, uninterested, the guilty pleasures of humbug. Yeah, yeah, the classic example of desatorisation of that was the paper um, present, you know, published by SoCal. Oh, the um, SoCal hoax, yeah. In a sociology journal. Social and, uh, where he wrote an article 
Yeah, he, he wrote an article using a lot of terms in physics that he knew as a physicist made absolutely no sense. I'll put um, a link up to that because that's a classic. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a very powerful, um, powerful thing. And also, it brings us to one of our topics tonight, which is Schadenfreude, but mm. the thing that a lot of people experienced when they saw that hoax come off successfully was Schadenfreude because they've mm. been subjected to, a lot of sceptical objective scientists have been subjected to years to this nonsense. Mm. Um, this postmodern type writing, uh, a post-structuralist, postmodern um, viewpoint is all that kind of thing. Yep. And people using concepts and physics freely without under- having the slightest understanding of what they were. And the, the very best way to demonstrate how bad it had gotten was to actually have an article published them. Yep. that a physicist wrote and knew was completely bogus. And uh, there was a great deal of pleasure mm. in, in the community of sceptics when that actually happened and the, the, I still the hoax from was publicised. And I, I get pleasure from it because it was just such a beautiful gotcha occasion. So gotchas are good. Yep. Um, if they serve to advance knowledge. So that's a, that's actually an ethical stupidity. example of Schadenfreude, we could argue, which is very rare for us. Normally we use, um, when we use our fallacies, it's for evil. But that was actually a good use of deliberately using a fallacious arguments to show up people for being, I think the name of the book was Intellectual Imposters, wasn't it? I think that was the name of the book. It was in French, I think, but it was a... Yeah, Intellectual Impostures. It was um, originally published in French. and the French With the another guy with uh, Brick, Brickmore or something uh, like that, I think his name was. I, I've actually forgotten who he wrote it with, but... Um, Jean Brickmore, I think it was, but I'll put a link to it Most anyway. of this nonsense has come out of... Yeah, most of this nonsense has come out of France. Yeah, European philosophy. Um, and most of this writing has come out of France. And the, the nice thing about that was Sokol had a co-author who was French, so... Yeah. Um, it wasn't um, sort of an American rubbishing mm. French intellectual right. life, yep. but rather yep. a Frenchman. That's also certainly a guilty pleasure is, is rubbishing the French. That's another one, but let's not get started on that one. But, yeah, I mean... I mean, I think Homer Simpson said it all when he said, you know, that Marge, I've been away from you only for one day and I smell like a Frenchman. I think, <laughs> you know, he said it all. I think it was cheese-eating surrender monkeys. That was the other one from The Simpsons, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we always get them talking about The Simpsons on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, my main issue with, my main issue with that is the, the abuse of science. I really can't stand that. And, and, and because people don't know a lot of science, they a lot of the time will assume it's, it's good science. And so I've had actually people coming up to me going, what the beep do you know? Oh, you'd love this movie because it's all about physics. And I watched it and I went, oh my God, this is horrendous. And one of the worst things about it in a way was, they actually do explain the quantum physics very well. They've got some great animations that explain the double slit experiment and the electron double slit experiment and so on, and they explain it so well. And then they go on and make such terrible leaps from it. And it would have been a movie I probably would have used in class to explain some of these, um, some of this modern physics to students, except for the fact that then it goes on to this absolute rubbish. Maybe, arguably, you show it anyway and then explain why that is rubbish, but... Oh, I, I actually, I have not managed to sit down and watch the thing the whole way through because I, I get so annoyed and so angry. Uh, it's like I got a free DVD about intelligent design that I hassled some people for, and even that, I couldn't sit down. 
and watch the whole way through. Maybe I need to get drunk or something or, or watch it on an old TV that I can throw stuff at and then maybe I could watch it the whole way through. Yeah, I think you need a degree of detachment um, because uh, you, you recognise that there are deluded people everywhere and even some beliefs we hold dear may be mm. in the long run proven to be fallacious. But um, the nice thing about being a sceptic is that you're ready to let go of those fallacious beliefs. Yep. So you're really, um, you're not emotionally overwrought at having a belief attacked because you know the attack is either going to confirm your belief yep. or it's going to enable you, you to shift your, your belief yep. um, to take a more sustainable position on something. But the, the great thing about, um, you know, the postmodernists and post-structuralists who use concepts willy-nilly across different domains is mm. that if you want to mount a counter-argument, you can just use your own concepts. And in fact, one of the, fun, the, the, the most enjoyable things is just to invent concepts in physics or from other fields uh, during a conversation. Yeah. And uh, so this conclusively proves the opposite of what they said. And yep. Even after you've had that argument, you, you may choose to either disclose your deception, yep. which indicates how gullible they are or how easy it is, or you leave your deception undisclosed so that they, they, they may start a meme and they may um, publish it and uh, you may find your fictitious physics concept comes back to you, which is quite an achievement. Uh, it may even appear in the... Oxford Dictionary in due course. You may have invented that. would be a pretty bloody word. impressive effort. No, well, certainly I, I use the fact that being a science educator can actually, you know, get you a long way in, in your, in your um, making stuff up as you're going along department, especially in social situations where people start pontificating at, at length about something and you can just bring up some, say, well, actually, that's been disproven recently in an article in Nature um, and then you can make up some science about it and they believe you and you win. And... That is completely and utterly unethical and evil, but I feel I'm doing them a doing them a favour by teaching them the fact that there are people out there like me who are willing to basically screw them over, and maybe they should be a bit more sceptical of of not just me but everybody. Yeah, I, th- I think the reason that it's possible to um, get away with a lot in this domain, particularly concepts from cosmology or quantum physics, is that. Um, the physicists, when they translate this stuff to mm. the general public, including me, um, use analogies and uh, just-so stories to explain yep. things like the Big, big Bang and uh, uh, strong nuclear forces, weak nuclear forces, the spin of particles and that kind of stuff. Um, and because we don't have the mathematics, uh, which I, I, the mathematics, as I understand it, to physicists who can use mm. the mathematics... Makes, makes a compelling case for a particular theory. Yeah. Uh, and makes a compelling case for testing that via very expensive equipment like the, the Large Hadron Collider and so on. That's pretty cheap um, in the grand scheme of things. If you're, if you're a lay person, you kind of have to take those things on faith. So. Yeah. On the face of it, if somebody said to me the universe was, is either held up on the backs of four elephants or it started at a moment in time from a naked singularity of no dimensions and produced all that we know in terms of matter. Yep. On the face of it, the cosmological the thing sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah. More ridiculous. 
that sounds more ridiculous. Yeah. And it's only because I concede that I can't follow the maths. Mm. And I know that physicists have to publish their maths, and that's examined by other physicists. That so I have faith in that process being followed. Yeah, that's the difference. Is narrow, but yeah. even in some areas, I, I understand uh, that some physicists are very sceptical about things like string theory. Yeah, and they, well, there's a classic book called "Not Even a, Wrong," where they where he actually said it's so wrong it's not even wrong, which is actually an expression I would like to use in particular about some of the things we've talked about tonight. Yeah. That that are things like um, scalar energy is so wrong it's not even wrong. And absolutely, I mean, the process of yeah. science, the fact that you know it's so viciously competitive, that's the, that's the key to the inverted commas around the word faith in science. It's not the fact that I, you're going to put scientists individually up there as, you know, the high priests of knowledge. It's the fact that I know it's such a vicious process. And the classic example, I can't remember who came up with it, maybe it was, it might have been Richard Dawkins or someone like that who I read, but I didn't come up with this example, but, uh, it, when someone solved Fermat's last theorem, and actually it might have been Simon Singh or someone who came up with it, anyway, there's neither here nor there. And I, there's no way I could ever understand the mathematical proof of Fermat's last theorem. I know a bit of maths, but I couldn't, that's way beyond me. But I know for sure there's other mathematicians who would have loved to have solved that and who are checking it, and will certainly point out the person who solved it was wrong if they happen to be wrong, and no one's done that. So I can take it for granted that this person has actually solved it, and that, to me, is about as esoteric an example as you can come up with. And so without a doubt, um, you can take it as a given that science eventually as a whole will get to the closer and closer approximations of the truth by the vicious competitive nature of it. And so when people take scientific theories and then apply it to where they don't belong. They're taking advantage of that kind of trust people have in, in science. And that trust is warranted, but it gets eroded away when people actually misuse and abuse scientific facts and theories. And so that's when sceptics and scientists need to stand up and say, actually, no, you are full of it. You don't know what you're talking about and you're embarrassing yourself. And be vicious about it and point out that these people are charlatans and they're frauds or they're deluded, one or the other. But, you know, they're either deliberately deluded or they're just ignorantly deluded, one or the other, and they need to be attacked without mercy. I don't mean physically, of course, but, you know, you simply shouldn't stand for that. You shouldn't, simply shouldn't go, oh, well, you know, it's harmless. No, it's not harmless. It is intellectually dishonest. It is intellectually lazy, and it can potentially lead to harm when people actually follow these these morons' advice. Yeah, the other thing is that there may be elements of that self-correcting process happening in even... Uh, social sciences, uh, because I read recently, and I don't know where, and I might try and find the link, but somebody's actually looked at the um, frequency of some of these esoteric concepts from postmodernism mm. in papers published in the social sciences. Yep. And they found they peaked, you know, a couple of decades ago. Yep. Yep. And they've been waning ever Gone since. Gone out of fashion. So, but a lot of these suspect concepts are gradually disappearing. And even 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 um, in the case of some mentions of some of these concepts, it's often nowadays in the sense of it's an ironic or a yep. scathing rebuttal of the concept. So it, even so, social scientists take I think take longer to revert to something approaching mm. um, uh, reasonable uh, common sense, but they can get distracted for decades. Yeah, uh, but I, I think. Like science, um, 
There are careers to be made in debunking as well as yep. careers to be made That's in right, holding yeah, up a theory. Yeah. Well, and as so I always say with the postmodernists the and so on, they all get to their conferences on Boeing 747, so there's a certain point where you go, you're a complete hypocrites. Which we're not adverse to it as a rule of thumb. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. All right, well, look, yeah. on that note, um, I think we'll leave it there. And you've been listening to Hunting right. Humbug 101. So that was the original episode on the misuse of science information. Don't forget you can buy a copy of the ebook for about four bucks from the website, skepticsfieldguide.net. Uh, please leave a review of the podcast on um, iTunes or a review of the book if you've bought a copy somewhere. That'd be great. Okay, until the next episode, um, of course, send any feedback to theo.clark at skepticsfieldguide.net. And of course, you can tweet at me or, uh, at Theo J. Clark. All right, until the next episode, you've been listening to Hunting Humbug 101.